This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter 24. Unforgivable. Draco had never seen the great hall strewn overhead with banners of deep blue. He had expected black, but he realised with a look over at Hufflepuff that the reason for those black banners had lived. He was waving over at his victorious girlfriend at the Ravenclaw table, a Cho Chang who had never had to witness the Chosen One bring back the body of the boy she loved. The death of Cedric Diggory no longer marked an epoch in the decline and fall of Hogwarts. Diggory sat there, amongst his many friends, not the champion, but brimming with happiness nonetheless, ready to graduate. Luna, you don't want to go sit at Ravenclaw now that you've won the house cup? Draco asked, even as she tightened her grip on his hand and led him more quickly towards Gryffindor. They drew stairs as they went, after Draco's long absence. Draco had to wonder what conjectures had been made about the disaster that had followed victory for Harry Potter. He was selfishly grateful for his name being left out once he felt those looks, and understood what public knowledge of him having been under Imperius would have done. Everyone was already looking over at him, like he had proved himself the heir of Slytherin after all, and Luna was showing herself just as tainted by touching a murderer. Was he the one they all correctly suspected, to have really brought that dead body back to their romantic old astronomy tower? Hello, Luna, Ginny said happily, while the twins greeted Draco with ca welcome casualness. No unusual weight to their reactions as they made room between them and their sister on the Gryffindor bench, five rather than three people's worth. Maybe it was because, as Draco knew, all the Weasleys had been told what really happened. But that seemed to occasion, strange as it was, far fewer accusatory stares from the twins than the others around them. If anything, they seemed more interested in teasing Luna about how her house had finally won the House Cup, and she celebrated by going off amongst Gryffindors. Harry, Ron and Hermione were so late, Draco's attempts to make conversation grew progressively feebler. There's no way they're not coming, is there? They'll be here, George said confidently, and Draco found with a chill that he could finally tell them apart, just as it became obvious that he had failed to stop the series of events that would kill the other one of them. Harry has to have a ceremony for winning the Trawizard Cup. Maxime was still up there, an affectionate-looking presence at Hagrid's side, but Karkaroff was nowhere in sight. Draco had been told Karkaroff hadn't made an appearance since the night of the third task, and that the Order presumed he had gone into hiding after hearing of the Dark Lord's return. Maybe he hadn't been helping with the plot at all. Maybe he'd just been scared, and it really all had just been the fake Moody. The real Moody was back in his seat, for what Luna told him was the first time. He didn't look to be enjoying it, as his famous paranoia had been dialed up to breaking point by his own suffering that year. Draco had spent so much time complaining to himself about his own short months in Azkaban, when this man had spent many more months trapped in his own case without his prosthetics, with someone else going about with his face, 
a human DNA dispenser, and yet he made it to the final feast sooner than Harry Potter. Harry's trio only made it just in time for Dumbledore's opening speech, which consisted this time of little more than a congratulations on finishing out another year, and a congratulations to Ravenclaw as he formally awarded them the House Cup. When he told them to tuck in, there was hardly any dent in the usual tumult of noise and excitement around them, as the food appeared and everyone began to stuff their faces and talk excitedly about their plans for the summer. Harry couldn't avoid seeing Draco at their table, but he sandwiched himself between Weasleys, avoiding looking at him after that initial glance. When Draco asked Harry about his summer, for lack of anything else he could say in front of people, Harry just muttered, back to the Dursleys, and stabbed his roast chicken harder. At least he was eating, which Draco had been afraid he wouldn't, and he looked like himself, as handsome a figure as ever in his Gryffindor uniform, just quieter, with his eyes looking somewhere further away. That brief, grim answer gave Draco a possible additional motive for Harry's avoidance, apart from the events after the third task. He'd promised Harry he would give him a godfather, gift him a real home and family. Now it must feel like Draco had stolen them for himself, as if the brand of thief had been taken off Draco's palm somewhat precipitously. Draco would understand that resentment very well. Harry's mood cast a pall on the proceedings for all of them, with the chipperness of their chatter growing somewhat forced even from the twins. They all seemed grateful by the time the feast was winding down and Dumbledore stood up at the front of the high table. There was an unusual solemnity to his manner that had the great hall falling silent rapidly. "'The end of another year,' Dumbledore began, in a ponderous tone that left no doubt as to his opinion on how that year had gone. "'And the end of the Tri-Wizard Tournament. We have a champion from Hogwarts. Mr. Harry Potter, please come forward.' Harry showed no sign of obeying, but after every head in the hall turned to him and some none-too-soft nudges across the table from Hermione, Harry walked up to the high table with an air like it was his death march. "'Congratulations, Mr. Potter!' Madame Maxime said loudly and ceremoniously, "'The Triwizard Champion!' She led her students and then the great hall in a round of applause. Harry seemed to take all the hooting and hollering from the Hogwarts students as if they were for someone else. His gaze went even bleaker when Dumbledore went behind the table and produced a large gilded box, with each corner gleaming in the colours of a Hogwarts house. He waved his wand, and the corners of each fell away to the side and revealed a massive stack of golden galleons. A thousand, to be precise, Draco knew and the applause was deafening this time. Perhaps Karkaroff's absence cast a shade on the formal awarding of the prize, but no one seemed to miss him, even the Durmstrang students over at the Slytherin table, and they exchanged gloomy glances and gave their half-hearted cursory applause. They were all glancing sadly at Crumb. Their sorrow was for him and his defeat. Once the applause subsided, Dumbledore waved his wand and the box reassembled itself with a musical clanging. Congratulations, Harry, 
he said loudly, and looks like he would have gone on at greater length about his paternal pride without an audience. Have you anything you would like to say about your victory? Harry nodded, and the box disappeared, magicked off to Gryffindor Tower for his ease. He stood at the centre up there, where Dumbledore usually stood to speak, and began. I know this is where I'm meant to thank everyone who helped me get here, and I am thankful. I wouldn't have won without the help of so many people, and they deserve to be named and acknowledged, but the truth is, I can't do that, because I'm not actually a winner. I may be the Triwizard Champion, and that doesn't mean I'm still not a failure. A murmur ran through the Great Hall, but Harry lifted his chin higher. A lot has been said about that night. I want to tell you the truth. The night I won the cup, I lost, because I was kidnapped. I was taken from Hogwarts and used in a blood ritual in a graveyard. I returned by the same porky that had stolen me with a body of Peter Pettigrew. He was murdered that night. He was murdered by Voldemort. The murmur became deafening. Just hearing the name spoken would have caused uproar enough, let alone the boy who lived speaking of the man he had supposedly killed in present tense. Before he was murdered, Harry said, raising his voice to be heard. Peter Pettigrew conducted the ritual that brought Voldemort back from the dead, and I fought Voldemort that night. He's back. His followers have gone back to him. He's going to try to do this time what he couldn't do the last, and... and... I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop him. I'm... I'm sorry. I'm... I'm sorry. Harry's voice cracked, eye and composure finally faltering. Dumbledore rose to his feet, taking Harry's shoulder and relieving him of the burden. Harry Potter speaks the truth, Dumbledore said gravely. Lord Voldemort has returned. The cries of fear erupted three times louder, along with sounds of movement and disbelief. Draco wanted to hide his face in his hands, but he couldn't look away from the stricken frame of Harry Potter. There he was, beside the headmaster, stood before the world, saying he had failed, when Draco was the one who had failed him. There is much that I would like to say to you all tonight, Dumbledore said, but I must first acknowledge Harry, who fought against Voldemort and his followers against all the odds. We owe him all our gratitude for his refusal to bow down to the most evil man the world has ever known. Harry managed to escape. He risked his own life to return the body of Peter Pettigrew to Hogwarts to clear the name of the falsely accused Sirius Black. Harry showed, in every respect, the sort of bravery that few wizards have ever shown in facing Lord Voldemort, and for this I honour him. More gasps and murmurs, but when Dumbledore raised his goblet towards Harry, the rest of the Great Hall did as well. A rolling whisper of the name Harry Potter went down Gryffindor table and over the others, though not many of the Slytherins. When Draco looked over in their direction, he saw his yearmates with hardened faces, closed off against Dumbledore's every word. He tried to make out Theo's face, 
To the best of his discernment, Theo just looked rather bored and impatient. The Ministry of Magic does not wish me to tell you this. It is possible that some of your parents will be horrified that I have done so, either because they will not believe that Lord Voldemort has returned, or because they think I should not tell you so young as you are. It is my belief, however, that the truth is generally preferable to lies, and that any attempt to pretend that the world has not become a much more dangerous place will only put all of you in deeper peril. Draco looked over at Severus, who was watching Dumbledore with an unreadable look. Severus had put himself in unspeakable peril already for this man. If Severus believed in Dumbledore, Draco would follow his lead, follow him in the Order of the Phoenix. As terrifying as Draco had always found the headmaster, he could not help but feel a deep and unending gratitude inside himself for Dumbledore standing beside Harry and calling him a hero when Draco was not allowed to. The Triwizard Tournament's aim was to further and promote magical understanding. In the light of what has happened, of Voldemort's return, such ties are more important than ever before. Dumbledore looked at Madame Maxime and the Beaubaton, and then over at the Slytherin table, where all the Durmstrang students had followed Crumb's lead in raising their glasses to Harry Potter. Every guest in this hall will be welcomed back here at any time should they wish to come. I say to you all, once again, in the light of Lord Voldemort's return, we are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. Lord Voldemort's gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. We can fight it only by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. Differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. It is my belief, and I have never hoped so that I am mistaken, that we are all facing dark and difficult times. Some of you in this hall have already suffered directly at the hands of Lord Voldemort. Many of your families have been torn asunder, and many more may well be before the end. There is no sorrow greater as a teacher than to be forced to deliver the hard truths of the world to one's young students. I myself, and all of the people here at this table, would protect you from them if we could. But the world has changed and I cannot protect you from that truth. The place we find ourselves in has grown colder and darker, and so, together, we must be the ones to cast a light against the darkness and hold a flame up to the cold. And even if our flame is put out, like the phoenix, we must be resilient and light our fires again in the defiance of the coming night. Harry Potter looked death in the face, and he was defiant. 
I ask you all, my children, to have the bravery to look death in the face and be defiant, like Harry Potter. Harry left the high table as soon as the speech ended, ignoring the many eyes that followed him. With the feast over, everyone began to get up and talk around their tables, although Dumbledore's words seemed to have shaken the great hall down to its foundations. But Draco had nothing to do but race after Harry before he lost sight of him. He took the steps two at once, but only caught up to Harry on the next set of stairs where Harry was looking resolutely only forward. Harry, wait! Draco called. When he tried to take him by the shoulder, Harry jumped up a step and nearly tripped, before he whirled and saw it was Draco trying to touch him. Sorry, Harry said and regained his feet, beginning to walk up quickly again. He seemed to speed up more and more as he realised Draco was following him. I have to go, I'm sorry. What? Draco breathed, and threw himself in front of Harry at the top of the staircase. Harry's eyes focused on him at last, but they didn't stay locked on him. There was something so distant there, it scared Draco. Right away, right now? Yes, right now, Harry said anxiously. It was almost like someone else was there before Draco, turned into Harry by Polyjuice, except for that brave speech that he had stood up there and given, which no one but Harry Potter could have done. I need to get back before the Weasley twins do. I need to find my winnings. That box. They said it went. Why? Draco asked, and it was like whiplash, to have to scrape and beg for Harry's attention like this, all the more because he was unsuccessful. Why, Harry, why now? Because I don't want it, Harry said, eyes seeking out a path past Draco. Because I'm giving it to Fred and George for them to start a shop like they've always wanted. It can help them. I don't want to keep the money. I can't have it. I want to have it off me now. And the strident urgency in his voice sounded all too genuine, even if it was of a self-loathing kind that Draco hated to hear from someone like Harry, who Draco could practically still see the after-image behind of broken stone wings in a graveyard. I want to talk to you, Harry, please. We can talk tomorrow on the Hogwarts Express, Harry said and Draco closed his eyes. Harry, I'm not going back with all of you on the train. I don't know if you know. He didn't want to mention that he was the one who got to go home with Sirius and Remus. Not now. Tomorrow, then. Harry said expressionlessly. Great Lake at sunrise, all right. We can talk as much as you want, but I have to go. I don't want to keep the money a second longer than I have to. I don't need it. I don't deserve it. Draco wanted to challenge those statements, but Harry looked liable to never listen to a thing he said again, so all he did was desperately offer to come. I'll come with you. Draco. Harry sighed and then bit out the softest, most hopeless laugh. Aren't you always the one who's reminding us? You're banned from Gryffindor Tower. Once Harry had gone, Draco stood alone on the steps for some time. Finally, though, he had to head back down, keeping his head lowered so he didn't have to acknowledge anyone's existence until he reached Severus's rooms, safe harbours. He was caught before he could make his way through the halls, though, by Theo, who was waiting for him halfway through the small dungeon labyrinth. 
Draco looked up, nearly stumbling, and found them facing each other in near darkness, until Theo lit his wand wordlessly, the graveness on his sharp face thrown into relief as it swam into being out of the shadows. I, Draco began, and found his throat dry and words drying up even worse, in the face of that soft steadiness of Theo's, when he could not have felt more unsteady. I don't have your shirt, I'm sorry. I think it's ruined, grieved Art. Theo said softly, and Draco forgot how to breathe. He hadn't told anyone about being caught by Theo that night, before leaving to see Harry. Not, he told himself a moment later, that it mattered. More than enough Death Eaters had watched Voldemort parade Draco about like his own Triwizard Trophy, like a ceremonial dagger that turned in the hand. Theo's father might have written him already. Not that Theo wasn't clever enough to figure it out regardless, with or without the shirt. Theo's going to try to kill me now. A small voice in his mind piped up bizarrely, before reality snapped back into place again. I'm sorry, was all Draco said, trying to keep his face and breathing level. Theo shifted, looking to feel a certain awkwardness himself, the squeamishness of someone who longed to stay at a remove from anything sordid or unpleasant, and yet found the outside corroding at the edges of his beloved book world nonetheless. I told the Weasley boy, Theo said very carefully, to send my best wishes once you left the Slytherin dorms. Did you hear? Draco nodded. I won't tell anyone about the night of the third task if you answer a question for me. Draco waited. What Potter and Dumbledore said about the Dark Lord and the Death Eaters coming back to him. Was my father one of them? Was he there that night? When Draco didn't answer, Theo clasped his hands together over his flickering wand, his reserved, icy prettiness never more on display, the picture of decorum. Not saying you were involved. Potter might have told you. Why don't you ask your father? He's your best friend, isn't he? Draco heard himself bite out, the venom in his own voice dismaying him. I don't want to speak of it with him. Theo said, blue eyes keen in the still uneven light. I don't want any part of all that business, nor do I wish for it to be true. Theo bit his lip, the effort of self-repression a visible wave over his aristocratic features. My father, he's past seventy now. Draco, please, just tell me he isn't involved again. He was there, Draco said dully. He thought they both knew Draco was speaking from seeing, though they didn't say. So much of any conversation you had with Theodore not lay in the things you didn't say to each other. Of course he was there. The flicker in Theo's eyes he couldn't repress then. The sharp swallowing. The downcast glance made Draco add. My father was too. So were Vince's and Greg's. I doubt they felt they had a choice. And you? Theo said, looking back up sharply. Do you have a choice? Of course, Draco said, smiling involuntarily, though it felt almost gloating in the circumstances. Theo's eyes traced down over his body slowly, until they reached his right pocket. Draco withdrew the talon wand, understanding Theo's meaning, and they stared at it together in the light of Theo's ordinary wand, Torchlight making the shadow swim over their two wands, bent and straight, like
like they were both underwater and sinking. I always have a choice, Theo. Always. Because of this. This is my choice. Astaroth had choices. Theo said evenly, and reached under his shirt and pulled out a necklace. The opal of the charm caught the light like a spell, before Theo took it off and offered it to Draco. Here, I've been waiting to give the mad dragon back. Draco hesitated. I said, for the shirt. It was red anyway. Theo's voice softened, and it did look better on you. Here, lift up your hair. Draco obeyed, and Theo waved his wand to make the torch's flame double, extinguishing his own and pocketing it. Then he put on the clasp for him, Astaroth falling into place with a star-like glitter between them. In the rising firelight, Draco could see the doubt in Theo's dark blue eyes, the fear. Not fear of Draco, though, as he had once told him. Fear for him. Thank you. Draco hesitated. Friends? Friends. Theo agreed solemnly. I'll write to you. Don't. Theo said immediately. You can't. You, you know why. Just, we'll see each other next year, Draco. And be careful. I will, Draco agreed, feeling a rueful smile twist at the corner of his lips despite everything. You be careful too, and remember, Theo, there are always things you don't know. He opened his arms and Theo hugged him, quick and fierce and full of fear, before letting him go and running back to Slytherin. Sunrise, Harry had said, but that was a vague unit of time. Could have meant anything and that had Draco sitting there, waiting out beside the Great Lake for a very long time, although that wasn't entirely Harry's fault. Pitch blackness at four in the morning could hardly be considered sunrise by any objective adjudicator, but Draco hadn't wanted to miss a second with Harry if he could help it. At least he had the Marauder's map to monitor the Harry Potter dot with. He watched it sit there, still in Gryffindor Tower for far too long, until it felt liable to drive him mad. But then, finally, the map showed Harry beginning to move. Draco had formed a number of different, potentially overlapping resolutions for this exchange, coming over a week after the night of the third task. Apologising was, of course, the first item on the agenda, along with any reassurances and explanations potentially still needed that he hadn't wanted to hurt Harry, making plans to correspond this summer addressing the elephant in the room that was Draco's luck in being the one to go to Grimald with Sirius and Remus. And then, much as he dreaded it, addressing the real elephant in the room, the exact way Harry had been pulled to the graveyard, which, from the sound of things, no one in the world knew for sure except for Harry and Draco. The sunrise that arrived was a promising one, at least if beauty was to be counted as something promising with a soft glowing play between shades of pink and orange and gold over the vast lake, gently suffusing the morning mist with nothing but glimmering hopefulness. Harry came at last to Draco's side in that sparkling mist, almost like he had been charmed into existence out of it, to be the needed companion to take that empty place on the blanket Draco had brought them. He seemed unhappy to see the full setup Draco had produced with Dobby's help, Baskets of food and hot tea awaiting them, along with lots of cushions there at the lakeside. 
Perhaps he'd planned for them to say what they had to say at the utmost speed possible, and to tear back out of there as fast as he could. Not hungry? Draco confined himself to asking at that dismayed look. No, it's fine, Harry said, and sat across from Draco with a deep, resolute sigh like he was preparing himself to face the Dark Lord again. His hair and uniform were both a bit messy this early in the morning, like it had been a struggle to drag himself out of bed this early. His tie was barely half done. Draco's fingers ached to do it up, or to take it off fully. Sorry, I had trouble sleeping, Harry said, once he caught the direction of Draco's gaze, in an evasive tone that Draco could tell meant nightmares. He tried to fidget with his tie, but made no progress with it. Instinctively, Draco did reach to do the job for him, and Harry jerked back so frantically he upset the teapot all over the blanket. God, sorry, Harry called, and began to try to wipe up the dark spill with a waiting cloth. Draco rolled his eyes and spelled it dry himself, before getting out the marauder's map and invisibility cloak and shoving them into Harry's bag. So, Harry really didn't want to touch him, did he? Draco shouldn't have been surprised by that, but he allowed himself the right to be surprised by how much it hurt. I want to apologise, Draco began, and Harry shook his head violently. No, Harry exclaimed, I won't have that, Draco. You didn't do anything wrong, you were under the imperious curse. Nothing that happened was your fault, and I won't listen to you say it was. He frowned, as Draco poured them cups with the remaining bit of unspilled tea then began to f fill them both plates of scones and toast with the waiting breakfast. These orange scones are my favourite. They're from Dobby. Draco nodded. He was really worried, you know. He said, yeah, Draco said, and struggled to think what to say next, if his first item on the agenda was to be so flatly derailed. He could not remember the last time things had felt this stilted with Harry Potter especially when the awkwardness was on his own end. The number of times he had enjoyed Harry flushing and spluttering, unsure what to say to him, and it was torture now, with the shoe on the other foot. Listen, Harry, I know you've been avoiding me after what happened. Not just you, Harry said, staring down at his hands. I've been avoiding everyone. You heard Dumbledore, right? Draco pressed. You don't need to be sorry or ashamed. I'm not, I'm just. Are you angry at me? Draco blurted, that I get to go stay with Remus and Uncle Sirius. Harry looked up at that, the distracted look not leaving his eyes. What? No, I'm glad you don't have to go back to your father, Draco. I always used to worry about that. The sun was getting higher in the sky by now, reflecting off his glasses making the eyes beneath them look brighter and more unreachable. Really, I'm glad for all of... all of you. And there was nothing in his tone or words to mark that as fake, as much as Draco would have liked to have found something to quarrel with. Then what? Harry, I don't understand. I know I should say thank you for the time you spent training me in dueling. I used what you taught me. It kept me alive, so thank you. Thank you for saving me, Draco said intently. Thank you for bringing me and Pettigrew's body back for Uncle Sirius's sake. 
Thank you for lying for me, Harry. You shouldn't have to face the world about this all alone. It's for my sake more than anything. Harry said bleakly, gaze dropping. Since everyone is right. If people knew you were involved, they'd be way less likely to believe me. And then, of course, I did all that, Draco. It was just the right thing to do, I... He took a deep breath, but seemed not to be able to muster the courage for whatever he had been considering. He just finished his teacup, and then began to inspect his fingernails. Was that your first kiss? Draco blurted, and Harry's eyes shot up, colour going at once to his cheeks, and it would obvious then and there. This had been the sticking point after all. Harry couldn't bear to speak to him or touch him or even look at him. This was what had Harry staring at him, like a Dementor ready to kiss away his soul. Yes, Harry said softly. Was it yours? Draco decided to answer that for the red line. Yes, he said, and it didn't feel like lying. Do you hate me for it? Harry couldn't have looked more confused and then more ashamed. What? Me? Hate you? Draco, you were the one under the Imperius curse, not me. You didn't have a choice. I... I did, and I thought, God, I'm the one who took advantage of you. No! Draco protested, and found their minds could not have been working more differently. Harry, nothing happened. That had been the wrong thing to say, since clearly, in Harry's mind, something very momentous had happened and it hurt to hear Draco dismiss it so easily. Right, Harry said tightly. Thank you for accepting my apology, Draco. He began to get up, and Draco grabbed his arm and pulled him to sit back down with it. If you're fine, I'm, I'm fine. It's not, it's so stupid. Let's just forget anything ever happened, pretend it didn't. Let's just, let's just not talk about it. Harry, I just meant that we didn't have sex or something, Draco hastily corrected. I'm not saying it didn't mean anything. What? Harry said, wrapping his arms around himself and staring at Draco bleakly, with those gorgeous, hopeless, incredibly exhausted green eyes. What did it mean? Now would be Draco's time to be brave, if he had been certain he should try and get Harry for his own. He knew what he wanted, and he didn't know what he should do. He should have figured this out before forcing Harry to talk to him, but nothing made sense, nothing was clear in his head, least of all what he was going to do about the future. All he did know was what he wanted. I'm glad you were my first kiss, Draco heard himself say, and Harry's gaze shut off completely to him like a switch had been flicked. Don't, Harry breathed. Don't, don't do that. Draco frowned, uncomprehending, and Harry stood, looming over him with the sun a perfect halo over his dark head. Don't try and pretend and be nice about it. Don't let me down easy because you're guilty. Please, just be honest. Please tell me the truth. You said you loved me, Draco said softly, climbing to his feet, and saw Harry's hand was in his wand pocket. I'm just trying to say. What? Harry demanded, eyes glinting hot and almost wet. His shoulders were all tensed up, holding his breath, and he had looked less frightened facing the Dark Lord. What is it? I want to kiss you again, 
as many times as you'll let me. I want to kiss you everywhere. I want to get on my knees for you right here, right now. Anywhere you want, any time you tell me. You're everything I've ever wanted, and not seeing you for months is going to drive me insane. I love you too, more than anything. I would die for you. I tried to, back in that graveyard. I almost wish I had. Harry, Draco said, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you really want. Leave me alone, Harry gasped. Fine then, just leave me alone. You don't love me, Draco said slowly. You don't even really like me, because you don't know me. We pretend you do, but we both know you really don't. I don't let you. The person you want to be with doesn't exist. You think you know me, you might even really think you love me, but you said so yourself once, Harry. You'll never know all of my secrets. I'm not who you think I am. Did you want to take me to Voldemort? Harry demanded, a sudden fire in his death-green eyes. Of course not. I'm saying, I'm just saying. Draco heard his voice break. I'm saying that, that I'm not good enough for you, Harry, and I never will be, never anywhere close. I can't be forgiven, Harry, and that's what's real. That's all that's real. Saying I don't deserve to ever have even spoken to you, let alone looked at you, touched you. Draco's eyes dropped to Harry's mouth. Kissed you, Harry. And then Harry did reach out, willingly touched Draco, left hand with its bandage still in place from the cut Draco had left, surging out to seize Draco's right hand painfully tight. You can just say no, you know. You can just say you don't want me because I am touching you, Draco. I'm touching you right now, and yes, I want you. Is that what you want me to say? The heat poured out from Harry to Draco's skin then, the spark of that sharp magic fizzing through Draco down to his toes, and Draco trembled. Do you want me to tell you that you're good enough? To tell you how much I want you? How it felt to kiss you? I would give anything, I would do anything to feel that again. I know you, I do know you, and what I know, who you are, Draco, I see it. You're a good person and you're so brilliant, Draco, you're beautiful. Harry brought Draco's hand to his lips to kiss and nuzzled against it, pressing his face into it with wild affection, like he was the one unworthy to be touching the other and at any second he would lose that touch forever. I am sorry, Draco. He whispered hotly into Draco's skin. I am sorry I'm in love with you. I'm not good enough for you, Draco insisted again. And after that, there was nothing much left for either of them to say. Still feels like yesterday, Hermione sighed, fussing over Draco's hair, in a clear attempt to cover her own internal disarray. Like yesterday that we were in Pasadena, watching Brazil Italy go to penalties. I'm going to miss you so much. I know, Draco said and enfolded her in a hug while they waited for the others to come down to the entrance hall with their bags and say goodbye as well. I know, Stryker. I'll miss you. I'll write you every week. You don't have to write me every week. But I want to. Draco, she said with a grin, 
won't need to write me that much, you know. Professor Lupin said I'll be free to come visit Grimmauld Place as much as I like. It was still sinking in that for the next few months Grimmauld would be Draco's home. He didn't want to think of what might ensue, should father or mother try to contest that. He'd made a few attempts to write to mother, but had been too frightened each time of the consequences of what he wrote coming back to hurt her. Severus had taken the task off his hands, telling him he would write to mother himself and ensure he knew she was all right. And if she wants to leave the manor, Draco had started, and Severus looked less sure. Draco, Severus had said, that is a decision that must be your mother's and no one else's. But it was Hermione's decision to come to Grimald as soon as her parents would let her, as she informed him, beaming from ear to ear. Apparently, while Sirius said Draco reminded him of himself, and Harry of James, he said it was uncanny how much Hermione reminded him of a young Remus, and Remus was definitely Hermione's favourite defence professor. Given the competition, Draco couldn't help but agree. Hey, Frankenstein, Ron called, clattering forward in a knot of Weasleys with bumping suitcases everywhere. Long time no see. First time in a while you and Harry won't be going through the barrier from platform nine and three quarters together, huh? Draco froze and looked past the Weasleys to see Harry turn away at the reminder. Yeah, Draco said with a forced smile. I guess not, but the numbers even out, right? You can go through with Harry. Luna, he called over, beckoning his cousin over with extra enthusiasm. Will you go through the barrier with Hermione? Of course, if she likes, Luna said placidly. I wish you were coming on the train, Draco. Do you think your father will let you visit? Draco prodded, and then like the last time he'd asked, she just frowned. I don't know. She said with a sigh. It's one thing covering it in the quibbler, but I think he wants me to stay as far away from any actual fighting or danger as possible. Between the Chamber of Secrets and the Quidditch World Cup, he says his heart may never recover. Well then, write me daily, Draco demanded. Daily? And squeezed her so tightly she began to squeal and struggle playfully to get away. It amazed him on a daily basis, how she was still keeping quiet about the naufragium. A day away from my favourite cousin is heartbreak, let alone months. But Draco let Luna go when he saw the jealous look Harry was giving them, a stab of guilt searing through his insides. He had no idea how he was meant to say goodbye to Harry Potter. Congratulations on the starting funds, Draco told the twins as they passed by with a wave. Congratulations on not getting murdered, he told Ginny, who gave him a truly dubious look as she passed by behind them. He hugged Hermione, hugged Luna, and even hugged a laughingly protesting Ron, who was ultimately happy to let Draco squeeze him and then give him a fierce high five. And then he was face to face with the last in the line, that face he could barely stand to look straight at any more. Harry extended a hand stiffly for him to shake. Goodbye, Draco he said with heartbreaking formality. Draco felt his lip and heart twist, but he stuck out a hand and shook Harry's obligingly. Goodbye, Harry. Eventually, as the crowds of students passing by were getting sparser, Severus came up to Draco's side, dragging his bags for him and looking sour. 
your uncle and his lupine companion, he drawled, intend to leave as soon as the students are gone. You'll be walking to Hogsmeade and apparating out from there. They've opened the wards of Grimald to you as an occupant. Draco flinched at the sudden thought how being lumped in with two marauders might cause him to lose ground in Severus's esteem. Severus, if you'd have let me stay with you, I'd rather have gone there, wherever you wanted. No! Severus bellowed in alarm, then modulated himself when they drew more stairs. No, no, Draco. This will provide you a more than adequate home for the summer. And Severus stood beside him, and began to harangue him with tips about Wolfsbane, which he had granted Draco permission to make, if he was going to have to live under a roof with Remus. By the time the hall had just about emptied, and Severus ran out of warnings, Remus came up to them with a very large, satisfied-looking black dog in tow. Remus, Severus said with a somewhat civil nod, and then Padfoot, with a somewhat less civil nod. Let me be perfectly clear. If I care nothing of circumstances or contingencies, if Draco does not return to Hogwarts for his fifth year unharmed, if even a single hair on his head is perturbed. Yeah, yeah, poisons, entrails removed, desecrated corpses, we get it, the whole business, Draco said hurriedly. I'm more worried about you, Severus. Promise me you'll be careful. Severus clasped Draco's shoulder goodbye, assuring him that he would be careful, that he would be fine, and Draco could almost make himself believe him. And then Severus whirled on his heel and strode away towards the dungeons, his black cloak billowing majestically behind him. Come on, Draco, said Remus, and led him and Padfoot down the steps of Hogwarts down to the path that would take them home. Thank you for listening to the last chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate. Join me next time for Book 5, Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand by Star Bridget.